Good job. If you have your Bible today, I'd ask you to turn with me to James 1, verse 25. James 1, verse 25. The title of my message today is Doing God's Work. Let's look at the verse together. But if you keep looking steadily into God's perfect law, the law that sets you free, and if you will do what it says and not forget what you have heard, then God will bless you for doing it. There is in Christianity an ethical demand. There is a law of living in Christ which the Christian must seek to put into action. That law is first found in the Old Testament, in the uh, commandments, the Ten Commandments that the Lord gave. And then as we move over into the New Testament, there are a lot of different ethical teachings by Jesus. When you add those two together, uh, it talks about the perfect law. That is the perfect law. James calls it uh, the perfect law. There are three reasons why the law is perfect. It is God's law. It is revealed by God. In other words, we can understand it. We can read it and apprehend it and apply it in our daily life. Secondly, it is perfect in that it cannot be bettered. That's the best law that we could have. The Christian law is the law of love. And that's so very important. Thirdly, it nearly always describes perfection toward a good purpose. Now, we want to be moving in our lives in the right direction. We want to be moving with the right purpose. And if we have the right law in our hearts, then certainly we will be doing that. An illustration would be if a man obeys the law of Christ, he will realize the purpose of his own life. He will fulfill the purpose for which God sent him into the world. So long as a man has to obey his own passions and emotions and desires, he's just a slave to those things. He obeys those things rather than God's law. It is when a man accepts the will of God that he really becomes free. For then he is free to be good. He is free to be what he ought to be. His service is perfect freedom, and in doing God's will is our peace. Rabbi Joshua ben Levi, in A.D. 250, paraphrased the verse that we're looking at this morning, and he said it this way, He who loves God's will and work is truly free. I agree with that. That's true. That's something that we can hold on to. And believe. I've walked with a lot of people and talked with a lot of people many times about doing God's work. Some are ready to go, ready to do it. Others are not. And they need to wait for a season and pray about it, think about it, and then open up their hearts to doing the next thing. Some people think if you respond to the will of God for your life, it will narrow the scope of your living. Some people that I've witnessed to through the years about becoming a Christian 
they say, that perhaps would lessen my enjoyment of life. I might not have any fun if I did that. Well, it is all too common an impression that to become a Christian and to do the work of the church is to forfeit more than one gains. Verse 25, our text for today, says just the opposite of that. Verse 25 says that doing God's work is the road to happiness. That's the way you get there, is by obeying his perfect law. Verse 25 says that God will greatly bless you if you are doing his work. You want to underline greatly. God will greatly bless you. The testimony of hundreds of millions of people uh, give evidence that this has been true in their lives. Some have said, well, I don't want to do God's work, and I don't want to do my work, and I don't want to do anybody else's work. Well, as you think about that, uh, that is certainly not the road to blessing. They don't want to do any work. The work of God to which we have been called is not a limitation on vital living, but it marks the direction in which our lives must flow if our potential, potential is to be fulfilled. Some people never know the wonderful reward and joy of living up to their potential. When I was in high school, I was on the track team. We had a real good uh, track coach, and we had the shot putters and the discus throwers and the uh, high jump guys and all the different things, the mile run, the 440, uh, the 100-yard dash. We had all of that stuff. Our school was trying to compete for the state championship in track. And we worked at it, worked at it. Uh, We we really felt like we had a chance to win. Uh, We didn't know, but we were sure working hard at it. We had uh, there in that school a hoodlum. His name was Butch Lassiter. I will never forget him. Hope he's not here today. Butch Lassiter walked by us one day when we were out there warming up and trying to kind of get ready for what we were going to be doing during our practice. And he said, you guys think you are so fancy in your fancy clothes and your fancy uh, cleated shoes. And you're just, uh, you just think you're so sharp. You're not so hot. One of the guys on our team looked at Butch Laster and said, well, actually, we are pretty hot. He said, we're going to contend for the state championship. Butch Laster said, you all are a joke. You're just a joke. I can outrun all of you. Then I opened my big mouth and said, well, here's the track. I don't believe you can outrun all of us. Well, Butch was a big guy. He was not tall. He was not lean. But he was a big guy. He didn't look like a runner at all. 
If you have ever watched the Olympics, you notice that all those guys and all those races, they're tall and thin. And, of course, uh, that physique helps you to run faster. And that's just the way it is. Well, uh, Butch Lasser wasn't uh, tall and lean. Uh, he didn't look like a runner at all. He took his coat and he took his books and he set them on a chair. And he went over to the line where we would start the 100-yard dash. And he looked at us and he said, uh, come on over. And so about six of us walked over there to where he was. And the guy on our team that ran the 100-yard dash, he went with us. And uh, we joined Butch on the line. Butch reached down and took his shoes off, threw them, threw them to the side. All he had on was socks. Uh, he had someone come up and count down from five and then say, go. So we all followed that and said, go, and we all went. Guess what? Butch Laster beat all of us. <laughs> he beat all of us. It was humiliating. It was terrible. It was unbelievable. I just couldn't believe it. He beat us in his socks. I could not believe it. Well, he went over and picked up his shoes and put them on, picked up his books and his coat, and he walked off. He didn't say a word. He just walked off. I have never forgotten that. That day kind of stands out in my mind. I'll always remember it. I believe if Butch Lassiter had trained himself and worn the right clothes and had the right shoes for track, I think he could have won the state championship in the 100-yard dash. I don't have any doubt in my mind about it. He could have been a college football star. He was fast as lightning. He was a, he had big bones, big muscles. He was a, he was a real thick kind of a guy. He would have been a great fullback. He really, really had all kinds of opportunities. He could have been a star in soccer. He could have been a star in track. He could have gotten a college scholarship to all these different places. He didn't want to do that. He wanted to be a hoodlum. That was his goal was to be a hoodlum. Well, Guess what? He didn't live up to his potential. He lived up to being what he wanted to be, which wasn't very much. We have people in our congregation that have great singing voices. Uh, and some of them aren't in the choir. And I always think to myself when I'm moving around and sitting in different places and I hear people singing, I go over to them and I say, you ought to be in the choir. Well, you know, I always think that. We have great salesmen in our church that have had a distinguished life in sales. We have a lot of those in our church. Uh, some of those folks have never witnessed to one person about Christ. And you would be a natural doing that. Because you know how to close the deal. A good salesman knows how to close the deal. When you're witnessing to somebody... Many times they'll want to get off on different tracks, different tangents about this and that. you got to kind of focus on the main thing when you're trying to lead somebody to the Lord. Well, uh, you would be a natural at that. 
We have people with great financial reserves in our church that have never known the joy of moving God's work forward in a significant way and helping change a lot of lives for eternity. I remember years and years ago I was pastoring a church and we were having a big campaign to build a building and we made a commitment that all of the deacons and all of the staff of the church, we were going to go to every home in our church in one night. We advertised it and advertised it. We said, we're going to pick up your pledge for the campaign for the building. And uh, so I think I had about ten names. And so uh, we started out at six o'clock. And I went to this house and that house and this house and that house. And I finally went out to the farthest one away, and this couple was in there. They were an older couple. And they said, we were so afraid that nobody was going to come to our house because we live so far from the church out here in the country. We're glad you came because we wanted to do our part uh, in this offering. It, it really was very, very uh, touching. Potential is a terrible thing to waste. God gives you certain attributes, certain gifts. Everybody here today has at least one spiritual gift, and some of you have many. Uh, You know, it's just wonderful what God has done in our lives. The great theologians agree that people discover their highest happiness when they freely choose to live in accordance with the purposes of of our Savior, our God. How has God gifted you? I want to ask you that this morning. How has God gifted you? Have you taken the one spiritual gift that you have and really used it? Or if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, have you tried to use the abilities and the talents and and whatnot that you could do, things that you feel like you could do? Have you done it? That's the question, of course. How has God gifted you? Are you using those talents for him? The free man knows with Augustine that there is no heart's rest outside of the will of God. Some people search for meaning forever. I have a good friend that lives about 30 miles from here, and he was the valedictorian in his high school class, and he was a real nice-looking guy and great personality. And uh, he finished college, and he got a job, and it, it just didn't fit. So he went and got another job, and he stayed with it about six months, and that didn't fit. And then he went and got another job. Well, he kept that up for about 20 years. And he would tell us uh, that were friends of his, he said, you know, I just can't find what, what I can do, what I want to do. And we all said, well, you need to do this because his abilities were very, very obvious. But he would never do that. He always wanted to do some of these other things that he wasn't gifted to do. Well, when you are at the center of God's will, doing God's work, then you are the happiest and you find the most fulfillment. In your life. I've heard hundreds of older. Wise Christians say. 
as they look back on their long life and they're evaluating the things that really made a difference. Most of them have said to me, we were the proudest of what we did for Jesus, what we did for our church, because it made a real difference. Some of them would say, you know, we started a group that did this, or we started a group that did that, or we started a Bible study in our home, or we did the advertising, or we did this, or we did that. And they were a tremendous blessing to God's work and God's church. Did you know that there are six different groups in the church? There are. These same six groups are in every church. I want us to think about the six groups this morning. I want you to think about which one of these you're a part of. Number one, those who do God's work with consistency. They are very, very faithful people. These are volunteers who do more work than any of us can imagine. Sometimes they work alone while nobody is watching. You know, some people won't do anything if nobody's watching. They want people to see them doing whatever it is that they're doing. A good worker in a corporation finds what he needs doing, and he does it. And that's the guy that gets promoted. It's the same thing in our church. The one that finds the need and tries to fill the need is the one that God blesses. The second group are those that were once involved in God's work and now are just resting. I'm glad that Ed Walser isn't uh, just resting. He, he is not retired from God's work. He's one of our best teachers. I'm glad that Shirley Ratz hasn't retired from God's work. She is one of our best singers. I'm glad Judy Schaefer hasn't uh, stopped playing the organ and the piano. She's very talented. God has gifted her in that regard. She plays for our services on Sunday and Wednesday night. She plays for weddings and funerals. She plays for special events. She spells plays for special music uh, during the service. I'm so glad that uh, Ed Schaefer hasn't retired. Where's Ed? Ed, how old are you? I'll be 93 in three weeks. 93 in three weeks. Ed hasn't retired from God's work. He uh, is out there with Ken Fanning. They're going around visiting folks in the nursing homes, folks in the hospital, folks at Plaza West. We have a program over there, and these two guys are a big part of that being successful all of these different years. They've stayed with it. They didn't retire. They stayed with it. I think of Mary Mooma and, and Morrison Borders. I think of a lot of people. I'm sure I've missed a whole lot of people. People that have not retired, but that are working and serving God and doing a great, great job. They could be resting. They could say, well, I'm retired. I'm not doing any of that anymore. But they're not. They're out doing it and serving the Lord. You remember, of course, Colonel Sanders, the chicken man. You remember him? He started his company after he was 65 years old. Maybe it's time for you to start some particular thing that God would have you to do in our church, in our community, whatever it might be. Thirdly, 
There are those who substitute secular and community work for work in the church. Now, being in the Kiwanis or the Lions or the Rotary or the PTA or the Shriners or whatever it is, uh, I think all of those things are great, and they do a lot of good work. They help a lot of people. They have a lot of good goals. But God tells us uh, to be about his work. You know, maybe you can do both, and I think that's great if you can. Some people do a lot of good things. Make sure some of the good things that you're doing are for the kingdom of God. That's very, very important. Number four, those who spend their time criticizing those who are trying to do the work of God. Uh, I'll never understand this group. I never understand those people. They're always criticizing, always saying something. You know, look, do you know what so-and-so did? Do you know what happened to him? Do you know what happened to her? Do you know how much their neighbors hate them? Do you know how much this problem is in our church? And they just on and on and on and on. They they uh, criticize some part of the church ministry. And when they're out in public, of course, they continue the conversation. Well, instead of that, wouldn't it be great if when we're talking to secular people, people that don't go to church, people that maybe live next door to us, wouldn't it be great if we could tell them how God had reached down and changed somebody's life in our church and now they're on a completely different road doing a completely different work and doing a great job at it? Isn't it great how such and such a group did this work in that place? And it was just wonderful. You should have been there. There's a world of difference between those two. One time, this has been 30 years ago, I was uh, eating out Sunday lunch by myself uh, in a church in Fayetteville, Georgia. And I sat down in this restaurant, and the tables were about eight inches apart. And there were three ladies sitting at this table, and I sat here. And they were running down their preacher. And uh, they would say something terrible about the preacher. And then the next one would. And then the next one would. Then they'd start over. And they'd go around the list, you know, and they'd say all the terrible things. And that went on. It just went on and on. And I was sitting right next to them. I wasn't trying to listen, but, I mean, they were eight inches from me. I couldn't help but hear all this. So I thought about it for a minute, and I thought, hmm, I don't know. I couldn't resist. I said, I am glad I am not your pastor. I said, I'm the pastor of First Baptist Church in Fayetteville. And then I finished my meal. That's all I said. They didn't say another word. Not one word after I said that. I mean, they didn't talk about anything. They were dead silent until I left. The fifth group, those who don't understand God's work. I'm afraid this is a a large group in every church. This is why we have to teach doctrine. This is why we have to teach uh, church history. This is why we have to teach Christian ethics. This is why we have to teach about missions and about this and about that. Some churches have a, a training group that is kind of um, 
more sophisticated and more uh, into some of the more developed things of the Lord. And, and they teach about the mission of the church and the method of the church, what we're about. I hope we will do more of this in these coming years. And then the last one, the sixth one, those who want to do God's work but don't think they can do it. They think, well, gosh, I can't do that. That's not who I am. I, I couldn't do that. Well, I have one word for this group. Try. Try. You know, you will make some mistakes, but we all make mistakes. You know, we we find out how to do something, we work through that, and then we move ahead, and then we might do something wrong in another way, and then we find out what was wrong, and we correct that, and then we kind of keep moving ahead. And we do a great job for the Lord and for His kingdom and for His church. It's great. Have you ever tried to shepherd a young or inexperienced Christian? I tell you what, if you will do that, it would revolutionize your life. You would grow a lot more than they would grow. Because the one that's doing the mentoring has to study and be prepared for the next thing. You would learn far more than they would. How about trying to become proficient in the Word of God? How about trying to learn what each book in the Bible is all about? When God called Moses to serve, Moses said in Exodus 3, I'm not the person for a job like that. I can't do that. God called him and he said, no, I I can't do that. God's answer, which I'm sure you're very familiar with, God said, I will be with you. That's what he said. I will be with you. We can do anything, anything, folks, if God is with us. I want to close with a story about one of my heroes in the faith. Dr. W.A. Crystal was the pastor at First Baptist Church in Dallas for over 40 years. Great preacher, one of the best preachers that's ever been anywhere. Uh, he had a huge, huge church in Dallas. How many of you have ever been to that church? Gosh, there's a few of you that have. It's a great church. In recent years, they've they've uh, enlarged it about 50% just in the last few years. And it was already huge. Well, First Baptist Church is one of the largest, one of the most uh, influential churches in America. No question about it. Uh, Billy Graham was a member there all during his ministry. Of course, they were on TV, and it was shown all over the world. Of course, they were on radio, and it was all over the world in radio. It was carried to every corner of every place. Well, Dr. Criswell had a jillion great things about him. He had one thing I think was wrong. He didn't really uh, act like he loved folks that were divorced very much. And he wouldn't perform marriages for anybody that had been divorced. He, he didn't want anybody on his huge staff to marry anybody that had been divorced. Well, Dr. Criswell had a daughter. And she grew up in the church. And after a while, 
of course, she got married. And after time went by, she and her husband decided that they couldn't live together anymore. And they began divorce proceedings. Dr. Criswell worked with them. He prayed with them. He talked with them. He uh, hired professional counselors to work with them. He tried to counsel them. He did every single thing that he knew to do. And they got a divorce. One Sunday, when thousands and thousands of people were watching on TV or listening on the radio or were there in church that particular Sunday morning, they were really surprised when Dr. Criswell said, you know, I've been wrong about divorce. I've been wrong about that. It's not two superficial people disregarding the will of God. That's not what it is. It's about two hurting people who need the love of the church. You know, I think that was the finest sermon that he ever preached. I heard a lot of his sermons, but I think that was his best. James 1.25 tells us to do the work of the church. Tells us to do it. To live the Christian life. We're going to make some mistakes along the way. But God says, I'll be with you. And if he is with us, we can overcome anything. We can do anything. I will be with you. He will be with us. Try to do God's work that is before you. Today, if you've not trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've not joined a church, if you're not a part of a church, you know, you've really got to join to kind of be a part and be on the the working body of the believers. You know, you've, you've got to join, be a part. And we want you to join. Our The doors of our church are wide open. We'd love to have you. Have, it'd be a Honor to have you be a part of our church with us. Today, if you'd like to make any kind of spiritual decision, I'll be standing down here at the front. We're going to sing a hymn. And if the Lord leads you, just slip out, slip to the aisle, slip forward, and take a stand for Jesus. He took a stand for you. He died for you. You know, we certainly could take a stand for him. I'll be down here waiting on you to come. Let's stand and sing together.